Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 18? 2 Samuel chapter 18. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 18. How many of you have a Bible with you this morning? Hold it up real high. Well, God bless you. That's wonderful. Turn your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 18. May we pray together. <clears throat> as soon as you've found the passage, let's just quiet our hearts a moment as we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for what we have experienced in song, the excitement of this hour as we've all sung the praises of the Lord. We thank You for every visitor here today, those who have put aside other important things to be here, and some who have traveled a long distance to be with us today. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord will now sweep across all of our heartstrings and bring understanding concerning the Bible, the Word. Help us to grow as Christians. And we pray that Thy Spirit would deal with those who are without Jesus, some who have never been saved. May they come to Christ today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this morning on a theme and from that theme, I have on my heart three kinds of people. The theme subject this morning, Absalom, my son. Absalom, my son. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 32 and 33, And the king said unto the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? And the Cushite answered, the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against thee to do thee harm, be as that young man. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Absalom, my son. The story of Absalom is one of the most pathetic stories in the Bible. It's not very long. It begins in 2 Samuel 3, 3, with just a simple statement. If you want to turn there, in 2 Samuel 3, 3, and his second, Chiliab, of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. That's the beginning of Absalom. And his story ends in chapter 19, verse 1. 
And he was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. Chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. One of the saddest stories. Now, all those chapters don't deal with Absalom. But if you held your fingers in the Bible from chapter 3 to 19, you'd have the whole story of Absalom. Absalom was David's third son. The scripture says concerning Absalom in chapter 14, verse 25, but in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for it was uh, at every year's end that he cut it because his hair was heavy on him, therefore he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels after the king's weight. He was one of those Old Testament long hairs. Very, very, very outstanding man was Absalom. Very handsome. His hair very, very beautiful. And Absalom had some loyalties in his life. He had a sister named Tamar, and Tamar was abused by her brother Ammon. And Absalom said, Ammon, you can't get by with that. Now David tried to correct Absalom and say, now let's leave the punishment to the Lord. But Absalom was quick and he was uncontrollable, had no self-control at all. But he had some loyalty to his sister Tamar. And so he laid wait and he arranged a plan to get all the king's sons out of Jerusalem one time and then he had some henchmen lying wait, and when he gave the word, the henchmen killed Ammon, the king's son, who had defiled his sister Tamar. He had some high ideals. Absalom had a lot of leadership. He was one of the greatest leaders in Bible history. No one could have done what he did had he not been a strong leader. 2 Samuel chapter 15 tells the story of Absalom so upset when he had killed Ammon and David was going to punish Absalom for killing his brother. Absalom went to another city and he was there two years. And Joab came to David and said, it behooves the king to bring Absalom back. And so Absalom was brought back to Jerusalem, but for the space of two years, David would not see his son's face. And Absalom resented this. And there began to build up in Absalom's heart a rebellion and a pride, and he decided he wanted to be king in Israel. He had no loyalty to his daddy. He had no loyalty to the king, but he was a powerful, aggressive, tight leader. And so he laid the groundwork. He used to go to sit, stand at the king's gate and he would shake hands with people and he would give them compliments as they came by. He'd go to the gate of Jerusalem and his folks would go in and out of Jerusalem. He got acquainted with everybody and he smiled at them. Occasionally he'd say, you know, if I were a leader in this country, uh, I could uh, answer some of your questions. I would have some privileges of judgment, and I would be your friend. 
He did that for the space of perhaps two years. And after a while, he thought everything was ready. And he got in cahoots with some of the cabinet of David. And he got permission from David to go down to Hebron and have a feast and offer a sacrifice. And when he got down to Hebron, he had the cabinet blow the trumpets. And they declared Absalom king of Israel. And they sent word back to Jerusalem that David better vacate or he would be killed. Absalom rebelling against his own father. And David fled Jerusalem. Well, the story of the Bible is always the story of sin coming to a head. Sin is like a boil. You know, it hurts and it hurts and it hurts and it festers and it festers and after a while it causes infection through the bloodstream. And then after a while, sometimes you have to bring it to a head. Sometimes you have to put some kind of poultice on it to bring it to a head. And then it comes to an ugly, scathing head and you squeeze it and all comes, all that pulse and so on comes out. That's the way sin is. Sin eventually comes to a head. David fled from Absalom. Abs David's, some of David's army remained loyal to him. And the next chapters of 2 Samuel deal with the conflict between the forces of Absalom and the forces of David. And the famous story of Cushi and Cushi's desiring to run with the story and Ahimahaz, who ran with no story at all, but outran Cushi. That's the story lifted out of this chapter. Finally, Absalom was on his horse, and he was galloping down toward the battle, and his long, wavy hair was flowing in the wind, and he made the fatal mistake of going under an oak tree and his hair got all tangled up in the oak tree and the horse went on and here was Absalom hanging by his hair from the oak tree. God's wind did that. And along came Joab. And Joab saw Absalom, the king's son, the rebel, hanging from his hair in the oak tree and he slew Absalom and the battles of rebellion died. You never sin and get by with it. You never rebel and get by with it. The story of this is the story of rebel, rebellion in the background. The Bible says, you're of your father the devil. Jesus said this, men in their natural estate, unless they're converted, are children not of God, but children of the devil. And this was the story of Absalom. And when we see the rebellion coming to its festering head, we see it all coming out, and eventually that rebel is headed for destruction. But the interesting thing is David. You'd think, well, David would be glad. The rebel is over. The rebellion is over. The conflict is gone. David can come back to Jerusalem. He's king again, and all that conflict has been put down. But when Ahimahaz came, 
he didn't know what to say. He said, I saw a big, exciting thing. I didn't know what was going on exactly, but I wanted to come and tell the king something. And David said, stand aside. He reminds me of people who get busy and they run and run and run and run and run, but they have no knowledge. They do not have in their heart a spiritual understanding. They're full of zeal, but no knowledge, no understanding. God had to say through David, stand aside. And Cushai ran. And when Cushai came, he had the message. The forces of rebellion had been put down. And Cushai said, let every rebel in the country be as this young man, Absalom. And David knew in his heart that Absalom was dead. And what did David do? We have just a little insight into the beautiful life of David, the heart of David. Listen to this. The king was much moved. He went up to his chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God that I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son. I think that's a picture of how God feels as he looks upon each of us. And he sees all the potential, all the power, all of the things in our lives, the gold, the riches, the things that could come out and be servants to the Lord. But we keep them and we hang on to them and we become proud and arrogant. And instead of turning these gifts and talents and yielded spirit over to the Lord, we become rebellious and we stand against the king. And I think that's the reason Jesus went up beside Jerusalem one day and he wept and he wept and he cried, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets. Oh, how often I would have gathered thee as a mother hen gathers her little chickens, but you wouldn't come, you wouldn't come. That's the story of God, God reaching down, putting his hands out to a world and saying, I love you, I love you, man, woman, boy, girl. Red, yellow, black, white, I love you, I love you. Will you come? And he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. But there are three reactions to that invitation to come. And these three, these compose the three types of men. And if you'll turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, in the closing moments of this message, I want to show you the three kinds of men spoken of in the Scripture Men that the story of Absalom suggests to my heart. The first one is in chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The first kind of person, the first kind of man is the natural man. Absalom is the illustration of the natural man. The natural man has two identifying marks. You can always know these. Number one, he is unconverted. His heart has never been changed. Now, he may go through the motions of looking like he's been changed, but his heart has never been changed. Now, his outside may have been. I've seen people walk down the aisle. I've seen them come in rags, and leave looking like they were in riches, but their heart had never been affected. I've seen people come, and they wanted to give up their liquor and their lust and so on, and, and they seem to have some victory over these things, and they go out in their own pride, 
don't have to drink now, and I'm going to conquer lust, and so on. But their heart has never been changed. And after a while, that liquor makes it appeal. And after a while, that lust swallows them up in itself. And they have nothing deep to endure because the seed of the Word of God seemed to fall on wayside ground, packed down by the cares of the world. This is the natural man. He is unconverted. I may be speaking to natural men this morning. Men, women, boys, girls, you've never been converted. You've never been changed. You've never been saved. The work of the Holy Spirit has never exploded in your heart. Oh, you've come to church and you've seen the You've sung the songs, and you've seen some standards and maybe tried to emulate some standards. You've tried to act like a Christian. You've tried to look like a Christian. But it's always been such an awful struggle because inside, you never really wanted to be a Christian. You never really had that want to in your soul. You just did it as a sham, as a fake, as an outward appearance. And that's the natural man. And the second identifying mark is that of that unnatural man is he is unconvinced. He has no discernment. He cannot really tell things that are right or wrong. I've had people say, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this thing? I don't see anything wrong with this. And you know why they don't see anything wrong with it? Because the only way you can see anything wrong with sin is for the Holy Spirit in, his, in your heart to show it to you. People can't show it to you. The preaching of the Word of God reveals it, but only the Holy Spirit can take the Word and drive it home to your heart and cause your heart to really see that this sin is sin. And so the natural man first is unconverted. And secondly, he is unconvinced. He has no discernment inside of his soul. And so after a while, he may endure for a little season, and then he goes away. We spoke last Sunday night about why men go away from Christ. And one of the reasons is they've never been converted to begin with, never knew the Lord. Absalom is an illustration of this man. He was the king's son, the son of David. He grew up in the palace. He grew up all around those messianic promises. He grew up all around the one man in all of history of Israel who pointed to the coming of the Messiah. And all after David's life, they pointed back and said, there's a Messiah coming and he's going to be like David. Absalom grew up with that man as his father, but he was never converted. And what a tragedy the way his life ended. A handsome, wonderful young man who sold out to the devil and himself. I think there are people in this auditorium and within the sound of my voice this morning who are right on the brink of being like Absalom. You have outward characteristics that seem to be religious. You have outward evidences that others may say, why, he's a Christian. But inside, there is no discernment between right and wrong. You do not quite understand what we mean when we talk about wrong and right and sin and wickedness and righteousness because there's nothing inside of you to reveal it. Oh, listen, open your heart to Jesus and let him come in and let him give you that discernment. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, there's a second type of person. And chapter 3, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, speaks of the carnal man. 
And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes of Christ. In Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with solid food, for to this time you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. The second kind of man is the carnal Christian. Now he's been saved. There are two identifying marks of this person. He has been saved, but number one, he is uncommitted. And number two, he is untaught. Number one, he is uncommitted. Now he has trusted Christ as his Savior. He asked Christ, there was a definite time in his life when he said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want Christ in my heart. But he has never really committed his whole being to the Lord. You see, Jesus doesn't just want your heart. Matter of fact, he doesn't want your heart at all. When he comes in, he, he takes your old dirty heart and gives you a new one, a clean one. And he writes on it the Word of God so that you have from within you the Word of God, discernment, showing you what to do. Now, that new nature is fed by reading the Bible, by prayer, by Christian fellowship, by witnessing, by soul winning, by becoming involved in the things of God. All of those things cause our new nature to grow. But the carnal Christian leaves those things off. He neglects the Bible and leaves it. He carries it. Oh, he carries it. It's a, sort of a good luck charm. Carries it under his arm or in his pocket or somewhere. But he doesn't read it. He doesn't heed it. He doesn't study it. And he builds friendships that are worldly. And instead of making his closest friends and alliances with those who really are in the inner circle and love the Lord and are spiritually discerned, he is constantly making alliances, unholy alliances, and links with those who are out there. And he is uncommitted. And he is untaught. He does not allow the Word of God to fill his life. There's an example in the Scripture of a carnal Christian. I think his name is Solomon. Solomon was also the son of David. Absalom was the son of David. Solomon was the son of David. Now Solomon really knew God. You read the book of Proverbs and you know that he knew God. But there came a time in Solomon's life when instead of going on with God, he hankered after the things of the world. He built a great kingdom and he, it was a showplace for the world. And the queen of Sheba came, said not half has ever been told. He began to make unholy alliances. For instance, he married one of the wives of the pharaohs of Egypt, one of the daughters of the pharaohs of Egypt. He married uh, somebody else. Matter of fact, he had a thousand wives and concubines. You see what happened? He never had learned how to be loyal to one person. And so Solomon began to go everywhere. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when you get mixed up in loyalties, it's easy to be mixed up straight down the line and everything else. When you get mixed up sexually, then it's easy to get mixed up spiritually straight down the line and everything else. And this is what happened to Solomon. 
Listen to some of the things he said. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What, doth, what, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? He was about to give up, he said at the end of his life, I've done all this stuff and I've lived and had all this, but what profit has it been? And in Ecclesiastes 11:9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. One thing Solomon learned, you can live any way you want to. You can skip, hop, and jump through life. You can dance your way in the night halls and night spots and the sock hops and the proms and so on. You can go on and do that. You can play your cards. You can gamble your life away. You can spend the energies of your life on that which does not count anything. You can guzzle your beer and take your dope and your drugs. You can do all of those things. But Solomon said, I've learned as a carnal man that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You don't do any of these things and get by with it. Now, there's a third kind of man spoken of. That's the spiritual man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God, the spiritual man. You know, it's possible to go from the carnal man to the spiritual man. It's go, possible to go from the, from the natural man to the spiritual man. But it has to do with commitment. I think the greatest illustration in the Bible of a man who is a spiritual man is the Apostle Paul. And I think he, in one sense, was a son of David. You say, how does he become a son of David? Well, Jesus is called the son of David. And Paul anchored his life in Jesus. And in that sense, he became the heir to all those glorious promises of the Old Testament. But you and I have that same opportunity. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, gives us a little insight into what made him spiritual. Listen to this. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. For our citizenship is in heaven. And brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That, that is Paul's secret for the spiritual life. It was total commitment, total yieldedness, all on the altar, a willingness to say, Lord, I'm not going to just dabble in it. I'm not going to just get enough to bug me, but not enough to bless me. I'm going to yield all I am, my talents and my gifts and my life, all on the altar. When Jesus comes in, 
He forgives us of our sins. He saves us, and then he wants all there is of us. He wants your eyes and your ears. He wants your tongue. He wants your feet. He wants your hands. He wants your comely parts and your uncomely parts. He wants it all dedicated on the altar. So you can say, Lord, for to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that? That's the spiritual man. Oh, life is a pilgrimage. And I picture God looking over the battlements of heaven and he sees us arriving at the finish line. And he looks. Every one of us had the same opportunity. Every one of us had the same kind of makeup in one sense. We were all human. We were all born in sin. We were all children of the devil. Some of us have received Christ as Savior. Some have gone on with God and, and, and made him king and Lord. And God looks over the battlements of heaven. And here he sees uh, a young man starting out in the prime of his life. And he comes and he comes. And then he, he never really receives Christ. He never yields himself to God. And he comes to the finish line. And he goes over that line all into the awful abyss of hell, forever separated from God. And God reaches out from heaven and says, Oh, my son. My son, oh, my son, I wish I could have died for you. And when we think about it, he did die for us in Jesus. But men who go to hell go beyond the love of God rejecting Jesus. And then he sees another man who has given his heart to Christ. He has received Jesus as his Savior. He has great promise, promise to go on with God. But after a while, he begins to make an unholy alliance here. He makes his friendship with the world. He involves himself in questionable amusements and questionable things. And he gets his mind on things that take him away from God. And he allows the standards of Hollywood and the standards of the movies to become his standards. And he goes, instead of living a deep life for God and becoming somebody, that God could use to move mountains and move continents to God. He comes to the finish line. Never what he could have been living his whole life as a carnal Christian. I think God reaches out and cries, Oh, my son. Oh, my son. Oh, oh. It hurts the heart of God. And then I see another man coming and he yields his heart to Jesus and he begins to grow. Oh, he makes some bundles. He goofs and he makes some mistakes. But instead of allowing his heart to be filled with pride, when those mistakes come and someone comes and talks with him, he comes back and he gets back up off of his, out of the muck and mire and he begins to walk with the Lord again. And then he begins to go and get somebody and somebody else. And he says, come on and go with me to heaven. And he gets folks. And after a while, he comes to the finish line and we see Jesus there. And there's a smile on the face of Jesus as he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Three groups. Which group are you in? Which group do you want to be in? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we pray this morning that somebody will turn away from being a natural man, unconverted, and turn to Christ receiving him as Savior and Lord and getting on the road that leads to glory. And Father, we pray that somebody else who has been a Christian, trusted the Lord, but is headed toward carnality 
already involved maybe in being a carnal Christian. No real spiritual discernment. Oh God, bring conviction to that person. Help him to come out of that and say, I want to serve the Lord, live close to the heart of Jesus. And Father, we pray that from this church, from the group assembled here today, there will come hundreds of people who would dare say, Lord, I want to be the spiritual man. I want to go and bring others to you. And one day, I'll hear the voice, well done, my son. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. Every head bowed and eyes closed for a moment. If you're here today and you're not saved, Jesus wants to come into your heart. Would you let him? Right where you stand, would you simply say, Lord, I want to invite you to come into my heart today. I want to give you my heart. I want to repent of sin. I'm sorry for allowing sin to make inroads in my life. I, I ask you to forgive me. I want to be saved. If you're already saved, would you say, Lord, I want to go on with you? I want to repent of carnality and sins that have gotten in my life and are threatening to take me away from the Lord. I want to yield myself more fully to thee. Could you say that to him? Father, help folks to come to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. And as we sing it, who will step out first for the king? Coming to trust Jesus? Coming to say, I want in my life to count for the Lord. I want to go on deeper with God and serve him. I want to move my letter to this church and start working for the Lord here. There's some of you who don't have a church home. It's hard to live close to the Lord and not have a church home. You need one. Would you come?